0: Hey everyone, this is Anna Firmanov, and this is Modern Startup Marketing, a show that's shining a light on those startups that are taking their marketing efforts to the next level. And now, to this episode. Okay, so let's go ahead and kick this off. Jo- First, I want to make sure I'm saying your last name right, okay? I'm Russian, I was born in Russia, and you must be with Polish descent, right? Exactly. Okay. My came from
1: Poland in 1979.
0: 1979. Okay. Well, we moved in 1984. So after you, but let me just make sure I'm saying your name, right? So Wachiszowski, Uh
1: Close enough. It's Wojciechowski.
0: Wojciechowski. Okay. So welcome, George Wojciechowski. George is here with me on the Modern Startup Marketing Podcast. He is co-founder at ShipBob. ShipBob was founded in 2014. It is now about 280 people or so and based out of good old Chicago, Illinois. Funding, they've raised Series D and have raised a total of $130.5 million dollars. And to give sort of a blurb about what it is, so ShipBob is simple, fast, and affordable e-commerce fulfillment. And e-commerce is through the roof this year. So clearly, your services are desperately needed, right? Tech-enabled 3PL. So I need to explain what 3PL means for those folks that do not know. 3PL stands for Third Party Logistics for direct-to-consumer brands. So basically, these direct-to-consumer brands, they need to outsource their logistics from warehousing to delivery and everything in between and more so that they can focus on other aspects of their business. So that's what it means. And you guys are across the US as well as Canada and Europe. The other thing I wanted to mention was you were ranked number one on Cranes Chicago fast list of the fastest growing companies in 2020. So you're rocking it. (laughs) Clearly this year has been hot for you. Just to give a quick backstory, my friend Yana, she's a designer. She's been helping out ShipBob with design efforts. She spoke so highly of ShipBob and all the cool things that you guys are doing and the great culture at the company, which is so great to hear that you've raised all this money, you've grown so much, and yet you're still able to maintain the culture. So I knew that I had to talk to you, I had to meet you. And the other cool thing is that we're both from the Chicago area. You went to DePaul and I'm from the Chicago area too. So happy to have you here, thanks for joining.
1: I'm very happy to be here as well. And always a pleasure to chat with a fellow Chicagoan and somebody who's really active in the e-commerce community. Really well summarized on your part, Anna, and I appreciate you mentioning the thing about culture because I think when people ask what has been the difference going from being a company with, you know, less than a half dozen employees to now over six or 700 employees, it really has been culture and finding the right people who buy into the mission and what we're trying to do and respect each other, not only as colleagues, but also see each other as friends. So that's been super important to our success over the last six and a half years.
0: Did I hear you say that you're 600, 700 employees because I thought you were around 280. So that's way more.
1: Yeah, I imagine we are. Last time that I heard the official statistics was somewhere around March or April. and We were around 550 at that point. And wow. So up for the holiday season. Differently than in previous years, we're not relying as much on temps this year as actually bringing people on board with the intent of keeping them on after the holiday season in full-time positions. And so, yeah, I would imagine we're somewhere around like 650, 700.
0: Wow. That's a huge company. That's amazing that you can maintain that culture. I hope that continues. And I'm going to enjoy this conversation, just learning about everything that you've been able to build at that company. So, Great. So let's go ahead, and kick it off. So co-founder, that means many different things for different people. I'd love to know, what are you focused on right now as co-founder? What's your role within the business?
1: Yeah, the role has changed. As many people who are listening who are co-founders or early employees of startups, you wear all the hats through the journey as a company. When we started out, I was literally myself and my co-founders. There's five co-founders, essentially, of ShipBob. And we essentially started the business going door-to-door in Chicago, walking down Milwaukee Avenue and Halstead and Oak Street and going inside to all the boutique shops and, and independent businesses who... We're essentially hiring employees, but those employees, instead of minding the store and working with customers, were spending 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% of their time in the back office packaging products and getting them ready to ship out for their e-commerce business, which was, you know, growing back in 2014. You know, retail was still, you know, the catalyst for commerce, but, you know, e-commerce was catching on and it was catching on big with a small to medium-sized business because of the democratization in e-commerce with platforms like Shopify and Squarespace and big commerce coming on board and introducing the product. So initially, that was my job. I mean, I would go around to local stores in Chicago, pitch them on ship up. And uh, we also stood outside the post office a lot back in the day, where to get our early customers, the early adapters, um, we would, you know, Stand outside the post office with an iPad and we'd watch for some entrepreneur to pop out of their SUV with like 20 packages and be like, hey, you don't need to stand in line for the next 40 minutes to put labels on these. Let us handle it for you. And that worked. I mean, you know, we went from 100 packages a month to 1,000 packages a month and so on and so on and so on. But we really grinded it out in those early days. And then for the next two, three, four years of the company, I left Chicago to go to Brooklyn. Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Dallas to start and operationalize our fulfillment centers in those cities. So I spent a year in New York, a year in Los Angeles, a year in SF, half a year in Dallas, essentially building out our fulfillment centers, hiring the employees, building out the management team. And once that was complete and it was operationalized, I would leave and move on to the next city. As founders in many early stage companies find out, you know, you kind of figure things out for yourself. None of us had any logistics experience when we started the company. And so, you know, we relied on, uh, you know, mountains of reason and our best efforts to make things happen. Now, luckily, we're able to bring on really talented logistics experts, career people to kind of run the logistics part of our company, which is a massive part of our whole operation. So the last couple of years, when I came back to Chicago from Dallas, I've been focusing on the partnership side of e-commerce. And what I mean by that is, even though we had carved out a fairly decent niche and name recognition within e-commerce, our BDRs, our AEs, and our representatives were still speaking with people every day that had never heard of ShipBob before. And we felt that we needed an outreach to the broader e-commerce community and start cultivating relationships with other service providers, and tech platforms that were working with the same types of merchants that we were working with and delivering value. And so my primary role right now is we've built out a fairly substantial network on the tech and platform side. And so I'm currently focused on building out the relationships we have with agency partners who are providing e-commerce customers with services such as SEO, design, creative, marketing, and other services such as that.
0: Awesome. I love the story of that you brought on here about how it all began with standing at the post office, because it's just so it's kind of like, well, you just go where the problem is. Right. And so that's where you had to go. You had to catch those people and say, no, 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 you don't have to do it that way anymore. And so I'm curious if um,
1: I'll say that. For the main post office hub in Chicago, I think it's Ontario. We were essentially banned from standing outside that post office. They would call the police on us. And over the last six and a half years, I had been threatened and told to stay away from various post offices in uh, New York and Chicago. So uh, that was part of our early kind of. Oh hustle. my gosh! Uh, <laughs> Are
0: there YouTube videos of people catching you guys like standing there and then running away from the cops? No. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Thank God. Thank God. But back in the early days, a lot of the time, you know, to get packages into the USPS ingestion system on time, you know, we would finish out the day (laughs) and the pickups wouldn't come because at that point we were dealing with like less volume. So like nowadays we have, you know, tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of orders per day, but like sometimes the daily pickup wouldn't come. So we would hop in a car, whoever's car was available with sacks of packages and we would go to the post office but what I didn't know, what we didn't know is even though we were late, say the pickup was like at 5, 5.15, you can't just walk in there or walk through the back door. Apparently, that's a federal offense to uh, enter the post office without permission or enter the back of the post office without permission. So that happened a few times. and also involve climbing some fences at certain points.
0: Oh, man. Well, that's exciting. You live, you learn, right? (laughs) That's so funny. So I'm curious, when you initially started, who were you targeting and how has that changed with who you're targeting now? Are there different segments of folks that you're targeting, different businesses you're targeting now? Do you have different teams that are focused on these businesses? How do you think about your targeting?
1: Yeah, that in itself has been a journey as well. When we started out, our focus was on eBay sellers, Etsy sellers, people's. You know, at that point, Shopify was gaining steam, but it wasn't as widely recognized as it is today. Uh, so Shopify sellers, and in the early days, we would take anybody who needed to ship package out on board. And uh, over the years. We've learned, we've worked with thousands of merchants at this point and currently have about 4,500 merchants that are actively shipping with us. And over the years, we've learned which types of merchants our value proposition makes the most sense for. And instead of kind of spraying and praying like we used to just in the name of growth, we've really narrowed down our box to focus on merchants who are shipping non-perishable goods, have a moderate skew count, less than 200, and are essentially shipping about three, 400 orders a month with good velocity. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, for our business model, it makes a lot more sense. But two, oftentimes we feel that it is good for the merchant, especially in their early days, to learn about the fulfillment process by doing the shipping themselves. I think a lot of times people get into business and they're like, okay, I'm from day one, I'm going to have somebody else handle the shipping for me. And that really is kind of sidestepping an important lesson about your own products of how, what it takes to package it, put labels on it, correct any errors that might occur and deal with customer service issues. So it really gives you very helpful context in the early days to kind of do your own. But the whole premise of the company has been founded on the idea that ShipUp wants to provide the new generation of e-commerce merchants with the same tools, reach and scalability as the biggest players in e-commerce. And uh, essentially, to be short, we do that in a couple of ways. One, our tech is widely considered to be the best in the 3PL business. And that's been a huge focus point from day one about building tech and allowing that tech to do bigger and better things, better than anyone else. And what that enables us to do in in terms of building out a network and creating an awesome user experience. And secondly, the modern customer is you ordering something online from one of the big marketplaces like Amazon or Nordstrom or Dick's Sporting Goods. And the reason that when you order from any of those big retailers that your shipping is essentially free and the package arrives at your doorstep in two or three days is that they have a network of fulfillment centers and distribution centers scattered throughout North America, Europe, wherever you're ordering it from. And a lot of people order from these large marketplaces and retailers, and that's become essentially the standard of customer expectations. And so modern merchants, oftentimes small to medium-sized merchants, are at a disadvantage because maybe they're based in Chicago, maybe they're based in Austin, Texas, or Los Angeles, California, and they're shipping from one location to the rest of the country. Often taking three, four, five, six days for the package to arrive. And their costs are essentially higher as well because it's transacting or transmitting through multiple shipping zones. With ShipBob, long story short, we fixed that problem by having a network of fulfillment centers that we own or operate. And that allows our merchants to proportionally distribute their inventory to where their customers are so that when an order does come in, More often than not, that order is being shipped to either a zone one or zone two location and costing 20%, 30%, maybe less than if they were transacting it from one fulfillment center to the rest of the country. So it's a competitive advantage as an e-commerce movement to be able to ship your goods at less costs and deliver on modern customer expectations by getting that package there within one or two days.
0: I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. I can relate to that. I do have those expectations. I also do like Ordering from the smaller players, if I find something that's off of my regular list that I typically order from Amazon or the bigger players, but I get annoyed if it's going to take longer than two, three days. So yeah, that's definitely makes sense to me. So we kind of talked about like what your focus is with the company and how you're trying to help these e-commerce players and businesses to deliver on like customer expectations when they can't because they're smaller, you're helping them do that. How else is ShipBob maybe different from other folks in the space that are also doing something similar?
1: Yeah, I think the tech is really the level up or the differentiator between us and other fulfillment companies. The business of pick, of warehousing, pick, pack, and ship isn't inherently too complicated. If you have enough common sense, you know that you warehouse goods and you figure out a process to warehouse them correctly, and then you pick, pack, and ship. And that's great. You can do that. But we've seen this dramatic shift over the last three, four, five years, hugely accelerated in 2020, in which there's this transfer of commerce from traditional retail to e-commerce. And to be able to meet those challenges now and going forward, the old model is quickly going to be overwhelmed. You need technology to make for more seamless, customer-friendly user experience. You need technology on the back end to optimize the operations portion of it. And you need multiple integrations. Shibab is the first 3PL, I think, that has introduced an integrations marketplace. And I think at currently we have 33 or 34 different integrations that the modern e-commerce merchant can utilize. To
0: what are connect- some examples of those integrations?
1: Yeah, so we have return functions, enhanced return functions like Returnly and Happy Returns. We have ERPs such as Soligo. There's a whole bunch. You can go to the Shibab marketplace. And uh, we essentially, you know, did a poll and did a test with our merchants to see what technologies are you using and what technologies are relevant to running your e-commerce business. And we literally went to those partners and said, we need an integration together. We're working to serve the same merchants. It makes sense for them. And it makes sense for us to create a relationship between our platforms and our technology. It's something that we focused really a long time on in 2019 and really put into focus in 2020. And it's been really successful. And the feedback we've got from merchants is that there's really no other platform out there that compares in terms of the integrations that are offered with the data that we're handling in the fulfillment piece and how it connects to the other parts that they use to run their e-commerce business. So we're really excited about that and using the foundation that we've built as a springboard for future growth and relationships.
0: Amazing. That's awesome. So I kind of skipped over this question, but I want to go back to it. I'd love to know what marketing means to you, given that your role has changed over time. You've had your hand in many different things, but in your words, what has marketing meant to you?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I'd have to think about that, but essentially, I feel like marketing is an expression of what you're about. It's an expression of your purpose, your mission, your values, and how you plan on delivering values to the people who are going to take a flyer on your service and entrust their business with you. So through marketing, you're expressing all of those things. And I think it's important. I think now more than ever, customers, merchants alike are not only looking at the utility of the service that you provide, but they also want to know what you're about. And you know, are you just all about the bottom line or is there a broader mission here that is in alignment? with my values as a customer. And so I think all that funnels back into marketing in one big eclectic package of values.
0: So when you were talking about how you're different from other players and you're like above and beyond with your technology, do you focus on more than just talking about how amazing your tech is with new customers that come on board? Is it the culture? Is it the values? Like, what kinds of things, and I'm starting to talk about marketing a little bit, and then I know we're going to talk about like what's working well with marketing, but just curious if you have already begun to put the focus there with, it's not just about us. It's also about like how to connect you to us.
1: Yeah. Good question. It's about trust. It's about establishing trust and coming up with the validation to reinforce that trust with the merchant. One of the things that we proudly are able to tell people about is that our fulfillment accuracy rate is 99.6%, which is among the best in the fulfillment industry. Be hard-pressed to find even Fortune 500 or Fortune 5000 companies with the same level of accuracy they were able to deliver through our fulfillment network. And so in that sense, I think that we do talk about culture, but the culture is also evident because when the customer comes on board, you know, they work with a lot of different people to get settled and into the flow as a shipob customer. Usually their first outreach is with our BDR. The impression that that BDR makes with uh, the customer, if it's successful, if they have good vibes from us, if they feel like we're being fair dealing with them and giving them the information that is helpful to them, then that customer will have a conversation with an account executive once the account executive completes a proposal and their merchant agrees with the proposal as making sense for their business, they'll have a relationship then with an implementation manager. And that relationship will last up to a month at least. And so every step of the way, they get to know us and they get to know what the company is about by interacting with various representatives. And if any one of those points in the company, the customer has a negative experience, they have plenty of options to go somewhere else. And so we try to, package that those mission those values not only in our marketing but in our customer facing presence with merchants as well.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it's a great way to kind of close the loop on the whole experience so that customers not only have a good experience at the very beginning but then it also plays out in the middle and at the end and the continued like retention relationship.
1: I want to say same thing on the merchant care side. Once they've been a the customer for 6 months or a year and they're dealing with our merchant care and account management team, that same rule applies. And so every touch point, every interaction is a representation of the culture and the mission that you're trying to communicate and essentially the marketing that you're putting out into the world. It's very important for me too, in my role, my current role of partnerships, the same exact standards apply. You know, we're not only talking about what we can do and why our value proposition is the best for e-commerce merchants, but other functions or other reasons of what we're about and why that is important in our partnership.
0: Wonderful, yeah. Let's talk about, it's grown to be such a large company now, but maybe you can give me a little bit of like insider information on the different teams and the difference, the structure within your company of the teams, just kind of a general overview. And I'm really interested in marketing especially, but just a general sense of how the teams are structured.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, certainly grown out over the last six and a half years where everyone kind of did everything, but we have essentially three sides, I would say, that interact, that triangulate as a consistent function to make the business continually move forward. We have the revenue side, which includes the business development team, the account executive team, account management team, as well as the marketing and partnerships team. And the second cog of that would be the engineering team which works with both revenue and the operations side to create the technology and test the technology that we put out there for merchants to use. And then the third side would be the operations team, which is the most vast part of our company. Made makeup is hundreds of people. And within operations, there's several teams within the fulfillment centers and the fulfillment center center network working on delivering our core product of pick, pack, and ship for e-commerce merchants. Uh, you can look at it as a triangle. We have operations, we have revenue, and we have engineering.
0: Makes sense. So what about your marketing team? Who's on there? It's great to hear it rolls up into the revenue, right? So sales and marketing working very close together. Who's on the marketing team?
1: Yeah, our marketing team is run by our CMO, Casey Armstrong, who's, I think he's coming on his third year now of uh, being our CMO. Originally, he uh, Was uh, working at Big Commerce, one of the big players in the uh, platform space. And he came on board about two and a half, three years ago now. He is our CMO, and the marketing team has uh, Christina Lopinski and Shannon Kellerman. It's a small but very dynamic, very high output team that works on creating informative content, interesting content, messaging out to the broader e commerce world and the world at large about ShipBob and why we do what we do and what the purpose is behind it. So, you know, and within marketing, the partnerships team exists and we collaborate on messaging to the broader e-commerce community. Marketing has hundreds of pieces of collateral and content that they've written over the last three, four five years that is super valuable. And so anytime we're going into a webinar, or doing a collaborative piece with a partner like a blog post marketing front and center and providing us with fantastic background information and talking points on the context of the topic at hand.
0: Is that your dog drinking water? It's so cute. (laughs) I like this because the podcast, I like to say it's raw. I like to keep it a little bit raw material, (laughs) dog drinking in the background. Love it. So Awesome. So it does seem like a lean team. So content, marketing and messaging, and you got your partnerships. Did you say that you use out external sources for like, do you do any paid? I guess we could talk about like marketing channels that are really driving your growth. What's been working well for you? What channels and who's handling that, whether it's internal or external?
1: Yeah, great question. Our affiliate network has been pivotal in leveraging the messaging that we're putting out there and reaching audiences outside of our core audience of Shibaba merchants and potential prospects. That's seen tremendous growth over the last couple of years, headed by uh, Chris Nolan and uh, formerly Nick Cotter, who recently left to do his own project. But they've done a phenomenal job really establishing solid relationships that help amplify the messaging that we're putting out through the affiliate network. Internally, I think it's been very valuable as well. Like I said earlier in the conversation, we have about 4,500 merchants at that point, but our distribution list goes into the tens and tens of thousands, almost 100,000 at this point of just prospects who have either you know spoken to us at some point in the past or signed up to get our newsletter or signed up to get updates. And so messaging that audience is also valuable, and the marketing team does a phenomenal job Putting out a monthly newsletter and other pieces of content. Our case study page. I encourage everyone watching this and listening to this to check it out at some point. We have done some very info rich case studies over the last couple of years, and uh, I love reading them. Every time a new one comes out, I don't care what I'm doing, I'll open it in my inbox and read through it because they're really impactful, really informative, and uh, super interesting too. Very well written and very well put together. And so it's a mix of uh, both internal the network that we've established of contacts in e-commerce and messaging them and working with partners and affiliates to get the message out about our core value proposition and why that's valuable to e-commerce merchants.
0: Awesome. Great that you hit on a bunch of different things that are working for you guys. And I'm thinking back to my time at Groupon and some of this stuff comes up too, where we had certain channels working really well and we would track them and so I think some of it is a little bit aligned with what you're doing too because it makes sense right working with merchants. So
1: that you were formerly Groupon, we have a lot of ex Groupon team members and now it's Ship on. And it
0: yeah.
1: uh, was a really great organization and really trained a lot of great salespeople.
0: Yeah, I could see how a lot of the experience can carry over for sure. (laughs) So, we talked a little bit about the marketing that's working well for you now. I'm curious about your early days because you have a leaner team then. What were some of the things that you were focused on with your marketing efforts? And I guess you kind of started talking about it. You started talking about like the post office and really just kind of grassroots, like going there and stopping people from doing the wrong thing and explaining what you do. And I'm curious, what other sort of areas did you focus on in the early days?
1: Oh, boy, Anna. I mean, none of us had any background in marketing, uh, let alone logistics back then. So we essentially were trying everything under the sun, every amateur rookie mistake that you can make, we essentially made. We did everything from radio spots to going to uh, protests or gatherings that we knew were happening and handing ship up little, little like three by five or five by seven cards with like two sides on them. We would cold email people regularly. We would uh, essentially gather email addresses of Shopify and other platform users online and then uh, email them and invite them to have a conversation. We would go door-to-door. I already talked about that a little bit, but we would essentially go door-to-door here in Chicago. And I remember one, our first Christmas season, we bought ad space with Chicago Transit Authority on bus stops and then subways and on buses. And uh, we thought that would be a great way to get the word out about ShipBob. And so we took pictures with us holding boxes and wearing a captain's hat. The captain's hat was part of our marketing back then, you know, like we're your ship captain, we would dispatch ship captains as couriers. And so those couriers would wear a sh- uh, captain's hat. So we took pictures. We had one of our co-founders, Shifko, with childhood friends with a fairly uh, well-recognized photographer. And, uh, so we took these pictures, we put them on CTA buses and trains and billboards and, uh, They were not successful at all, and uh, they stayed up on the CTA for another year, two years. I had people two years later, literally, like, "Hey, I'm riding the subway home from work. Is this you?" And I was like, "Oh gosh!" And it was the wonkiest pictures of us as well. We were wearing. So
0: they don't take it down, right? Even after.
1: (laughs) And it wasn't funny at the time, but what became really funny is when people sent me pictures of like one of our photos of myself or any of the other co-founders literally being vandalized on the CTA where they would like change ship Bob to S-H-I-T Bob. And I was just like, oh, God. I thought <laughs> we 30 days of advertising. What is it still doing up there two years later?
0: Oh, my gosh. All right. So you learned a lot clearly, like maybe radio spots were not the thing. Maybe CTA transport ads were not the thing for you. But what did end up working well? Do you remember what were the things you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This like, let's keep doing that.
1: Yeah. In a sense, a lot of them didn't work. But in in the same sense, they all worked because any opportunity that we had to get in front of another merchant and tell them about what we're doing, even if we suffered the embarrassment of having our photos up on the train, or having a you know a campy radio commercial, as long as that put us in a position to talk to somebody about what we did. We tried everything under the sun and none of them worked really well, but it did create an audience, a scattered audience of people that we would sell on our value proposition and to come work with us. And from that, if we did a good job, those people would recommend us to other merchants. Merchants, like any other community or hobbyists or, or anyone else that has like like-minded interests, they all hang out in circles or know each other or know other people who are doing the same thing. So merchants would tell us, tell other merchants about us and slowly we were able to get validation and uh, you know, that multiplied over time. And so in a sense, none of them really work, but they all work in terms of getting us the opportunity to get in front of a merchant and win their approval and win their support. And it just grew from there.
0: Sounds like word of mouth really was your number one. And also sounds like there was low hanging fruit. So basically testing ev- anything was fine in the early days, as long as you tested, as long as you tried, as long as you got in front of folks, and then you did a great job with them, then they would spread the message to others, to their community.
1: That's a great point and a great way of looking at it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Awesome. Okay, thanks for sharing that. So the other side, what would you say are the biggest challenges? What are you trying to figure out right now? And (laughs) I have to mention this because we started this conversation with you saying, oh, my gosh, what a week. It's been such a week. Right. So I know there are challenges. And I'd love for you to share, like, what's keeping you up at night? What are the big challenges that you're dealing with right now and trying to figure out?
1: Yeah, there's been a a progression of challenges through the years. If you had asked me a year or two ago, as we were really hitting our growth spurt, it would be like, how do we maintain the culture that allow us to get here in the first place as we bring new team members on board? I think we've done that very successfully. And so, you know, the bigger you get, the bigger your problems get. Now it's keeping our obligations to our merchants and our investors, especially in this time of COVID, which has added additional Levels of pressure and expense and complexity to the fulfillment process. Yet, you know, merchants have higher expectations. They, you know, many people have left their jobs that they were working previously and have gone all in on their e commerce business. And so we take it very seriously, the promise we make to merchants to handle the shipping and fulfillment part of their business. And so dealing with the challenges, just general challenges of 2020 and all that has come with that has, uh, I wouldn't say kept us up at night. But it's definitely been uh, very challenging and a challenge that I think that we have taken head on and dealt with very, very well this year.
0: Yeah. Like I think about your business and I'm thinking like, oh, man, you guys are probably doing amazing because e-commerce is through the roof because, you know, people are buying online. They don't really go physically into stores. And so that's really where the activity is these days. But then on the other hand, there's logistics challenges, right? So I'm sure that's affecting you and you still yeah. want to keep your promises that you're high, you know, high quality support to your customers.
1: Yeah. And a lot of it's out of our control too, and like what we can control, we, you know, focus on with, you know, laser-like focus. But you've read, everyone's read over the last couple of days, it was in the New York Times, even big brands, like Nike or Gap have been having challenges with carriers like UPS and, and USPS and FedEx. And merchants expect us to handle that. You know, if only a certain amount of packages per day can be picked up because of a location, because one of the carrier has capped it, that's not an excuse that we can tell our merchants. That's something that we need to figure out because that's what we signed up for. So, you know, throughout the supply chain, there's a lot of different cogs that make a product From the time it's manufactured to the time it arrives in a ship out fulfillment center to the time that it arrives at the customer's doorstep, all of those have to be in, in line as much as possible for this to be successful. And so addressing those challenges and talking with partners and talking with various aspects of the supply chain to make sure as best as we can be that we're on the same page has been super important as well.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. So we've been talking about COVID already. How has COVID impacted your marketing, if in any way? Like, are there things that you plan to do differently next year or that you've already started to do differently this year? Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Back in March and April, when COVID first hit, we didn't feel like it was appropriate to just go out and market to people and say, hey, you know, where should, Bob, this is why you should use us. We felt like we had to deliver some sort of value in the aspect that we have available to us. And so one of the things we did was instead of messaging outward about why our value proposition is best, we took the data that we were seeing from working with thousands of e-commerce merchants and made it public. And so we wanted to provide information. People were looking around, with a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. And so whatever answers that we could provide to make their lives and their businesses easier and more successful, that became our marketing approach in the early days of COVID. So we published two websites. One is trends.shipbob.com, which Mm is the monitors the different products that are uh, leaving our fulfillment centers. And so it was super interesting because the usual catalog, the early weeks of March and April, You'd see the catalyst products like cosmetics, health and beauty, uh, wellness, sporting goods equipment would just nosedive to like zero. And other categories, such as baby foods, would spike like 800%. And so we're actively sharing that information that we have internally with merchants so that they can make better decisions for their business. And taking that one step further, we also published another site called carriers.shipup.com, which is essentially... How are the carriers performing based on the SLAs that they promise? And how are they performing based on how they were performing prior to COVID? And so you'll see this line when you look at the graphs as like, hey, this is what USPS or UPS was doing pre-COVID. Are they at that pre-COVID level or are they still struggling with COVID and getting packages and hitting SLAs? So we took the approach of providing information instead of pushing information.
0: I find that to be such a great strategy. You're figuring out what in your company you have to give value that's above and beyond other folks in the space. You have the data to share. It's just a matter of packaging it up in a way that's useful for your customers and prospective clients, too. And I love that, especially this trends.shipbob.com. I'm just curious. I'm going to go check it out myself, but seeing like, that's great for merchants to see what are the products that are really flying off the shelves right now, or not shelves, but I guess the digital shelves (laughs) these days. And then you can spin your strategy as a merchant and your marketing can focus on those specific products. So it's a wonderful way to use your data that's in-house and provide it out to customers so that they find value in more than just, you know, you help us with our shipping needs and have these fulfillment centers. So that's great to hear that. Let's talk about you a little bit, because we haven't talked about your background. And it's, by the way, very intriguing. You've been in like derivatives and futures, and you were, I believe you were an AE in venture capital, right? You've been in equities. So talk about how your background has prepared you for your role with ShipBob.
1: I've done a lot of different things for the first 10 years of my career before I joined ShipBob. I was originally in uh, equities as a market maker out of college, and then I transitioned to options and options on futures contracts. What appealed to me about joining the team that had already established the early version of ShipBob was that, you know, in the finance industry, everything was about the P&L at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter. And I really felt a calling to be a part of something in which I could build and kind of look back and say, hey, we did this. This was great work. This is something that we can show as uh, we can see the effort that we put into something and we'd be really proud of that. And the sense of mission about helping this exciting new e-commerce industry that was developing at the time also got me very excited about ShipBob and the opportunity at hand. But in terms of logistics, in terms of marketing, I would say the, none of us really had any deep experience that had us prepared to take on the challenges of like literally starting a business from scratch, but we were very scrappy. We had a lot of grit, which you'll find in Chicago-based startups and Midwest startups. I think that you can verify that as well, that, you know, different than perhaps maybe other regions of the country, a lot of young companies in Chicago just show a lot of grit. And I think we had that in spades early on. And so even we would take it upon ourselves to figure problems out. And when it didn't work, one of the great things about having a great team is that you have people there to pick you up and keep moving forward together. And I think that we exercise that really beautifully in our early days. But I think the sense of taking on new challenges has always been something that I've embraced in my career. And that surely was also the case in the early days of ShipBob and essentially joining a team of a couple of people, a few people and saying, hey, let's, uh, let's see what we can do here. Let's see if this will scale and if we can build something really cool. That's in line with our personal values.
0: Yeah, it's a risk, right? But it seems like it aligned well with what you were looking for that went beyond where you were able to find something fulfilling in your previous roles in these like more financial driven companies. So amazing that you got involved at the right time, right? Right time, right people. If you can share something for the audience to hear about, something more personal, maybe that you're working on this year or something from your career, anything that you'd like to share a little bit more so folks that are listening can connect with you.
1: Yeah, I would say that outside of logistics, my passion is renewable energy. And, you know, one of the most disheartening feelings that I experience is when I do order something from a major retailer or marketplace and perhaps I order like you know something the size of a cell phone or a remote control, and it comes in a big, gigantic box. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you could fit eight of these in this one box. How could they even send this out? And just for this one 200-mile trip of getting the package from the fulfillment center to my doorstep, this box will never be used again. And that's something that's led me to uh, find a partnership. Uh, there's this really exciting company in San Francisco called Pachama which essentially allows companies to essentially calculate their carbon footprint and see what their carbon footprint that they're emitting out into the world and neutralize that by buying carbon offsets, as well as planting new trees to make up for the resources that they're using to deliver their product. And so a lot of exciting companies like Shopify and Microsoft use them as well. And what's really cool is that they're utilizing technology to verify the actual results of the investment that you're making to neutralize that carbon footprint. Previously, the whole carbon offset industry was a little bit hazy, like, you know, tell a farmer or rancher in Brazil to not cut down X amount of trees or acreage, and they would take the money for that and would cut down the trees sometimes anyways. So there was actually no way to verify that the investment that you were making back into the environment was actually being applied as intended. What Pachima does is they use a mix of satellite footage, uh, drones, and various forms of technology to verify not only that if you're preserving certain acreage, that that is preserved as intended, but that trees are growing if you're replanting trees and whatnot. And so the whole process, the whole concept of carbon offset has been fantastic from the beginning, but there was a lot of gray areas and they're taking that gray area out. So for ShipBob, not only are we working with Pachima to reduce our personal carbon footprint, but we've, we're in the process of building an integration that allows our e-commerce merchants to also calculate what their footprint is and make the investment to do the same as well. Um, and that's something I'm really excited about and very proud of and, you know, on a personal level of interest to me as well.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that there was something like that going on, but I'm glad that there is. And it's great that you're backing that and interested in that and pursuing that for the company. It makes a lot of sense. So thank you for everything that you've shared. We covered a lot of ground. It's been so interesting to hear you talk about some of the things that you were doing in the early days and how the team has grown and how it's just blown up so much yet you're still able to keep the culture where you want it to be. Of course there will always be different challenges to handle, right? COVID has not made it easy for you guys. Thank you for sharing all of the different ways that you're staying relevant for your customers, you know, doing some marketing efforts and what's working well. And I'm so excited to hear all about this great stuff. I'm going to follow you guys. Let's keep in touch. I expect a lot of great movement into next year because you're clearly needed in, you know for these e-commerce players and you're doing some great things. So thanks for coming on here, George.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Anna. You have a phenomenal podcast and I'm honored to be a part of it and one of your episodes. And uh, thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping regularly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Anna Firminov, or visit my website, firminovmarketing.com.